If you have your Bibles, you heard of Daniel chapter 5 as we continue our Influencers series. Daniel chapter 5, we'll start in verse 10. I, I don't know about you, but I did not grow up in church. I didn't have very much church influence. And my parents separated when I was about 12 years old. I raised myself from about 12 to almost 15 years old. When I was 14 years old, there's a place called Caps Gap Market. So Caps Gap Market was notorious in middle school my freshman year because they would sell anything to anybody who had a little bit of cash. So it happened to be about a mile and a half, two miles from my house. And so one of my buddies who's older than me at school, uh, playing the basketball team, said, hey, we should, we should come to your house on Saturday because your dad's never home. We can go to Caps Gap. I got some money. We can buy anything and everything. I was like, cool. So we get on our bicycles, me, my buddy Mike, my buddy Britt. We ride our bicycles to the Caps Gap Market. We go in all nervous, 14-year-old boy, prepubescent boy, walking up, getting some wine coolers and Zimas and Swisher Sweets and dip and bread man chewing tobacco and anything and everything that was illegal to buy, we were buying. And I remember we, we bought, we're certain, we put it up on that counter, stood like that chest, that one chest hair poking out, trying to show it off. And they sold it to us. And we spent all the cash we had. We had backpacks. We got on our bicycles. We're riding back to my, my dad's house. And I just remember hearing in our, in our book bags the jingling of all these glass bottles. And I look forward, and Mike is leading the pack, and he's got this cigar, and he looks like a freight train riding his bicycle all the way home. So I sit at the, the dinner table, which was like a, a kind of a three-room little house we had. And I sit at this little dinner table. Mike has a cigar in his mouth a wine cooler in his hand, and a dip in his mouth. And I thought, this is the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. And Mike, is, he's already hit puberty. Look at it. He is a man. I, I'm amazed. And then next thing I know, I'm trying to smoke a little cigarette, and Britt's trying to do this. And next thing I know, I hear some keys in the door. I said, my dad's at work. And I look, and I see the silhouette of my dad who has this little kind of white man's afro through the window. And I'm like, that's my dad. So we grab all the stuff and we run off to my bedroom to hide it in the back. My dad comes home. He takes us to the mall. He drops it off. He, the, Mike and Britt get out of the car. My dad says, hey, stay in the car for a second. He said, I know you're smoking. I said, sir, I was not smoking. He said, Bobby, the room was full of smoke and there was a trail of cigarettes from the table all the way to your bedroom. And I said, okay, okay, we're smoking. He said, look, I wouldn't start a habit like that because it's hard to break. That's all he told me. But I remember the moment when I saw those keys in the door. There's something about when the party gets interrupted, how it sobers you up. In this story in Daniel 5, there's the story of, of Belshazzar. He's the king. They think he's actually the third king. Nebuchadnezzar was the first king of Babylon. Then there's another king. Belshazzar his, is his son. They think his dad was off at war. Belshazzar is here. They're having the party of their life, right? Which is incredible because Babylon is kind of in the beginning of a falling state, because before, Nebuchadnezzar ruled most of the known world. Belshazzar is there. Persia surrounded Babylon and about to take over Babylon. And so what do you do when you're about to lose everything? He just throws the world's best party. And they are partying. It is immorality. It is drinking. It is everything you can think of. Even to the extent, as they're drinking and partying, Belshazzar says, hey, why don't you go get the golden goblets out of the Jerusalem archives? which was the same goblets and the same utensils from the temple of God. And he was just wanting to defile the God of the Jews. And so they're drinking and partying with the instruments or the utensils from the holy of holies in their hands. And as they're having the world's greatest party, in the middle of it, this disembodied hand shows up and begins writing on the wall. 
could you imagine how quickly everybody there sobered up? It's not even Halloween yet. There's a hand missing the arm and the body that is literally writing on the wall. Where we get the term that writing's on the wall comes from this. As they're partying, God shows up in the middle of their party to give them a prophetic word. And instantly they sober up and instantly they're trying to figure out how to solve this problem. There is something about when the party gets interrupted that people in the world start looking for answers from a supernatural perspective. And you are where those answers come from. In Daniel chapter 5, it says this. I start in verse 10. It says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him the chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, everybody say excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. Not just any spirit, but an excellent spirit. The Holy Spirit. Knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are the Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. He says this, quote, I have heard of you. See, there's something about when you have an excellent spirit in you that other people who don't even know God will hear about you. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods or the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I've heard of you that the spirit of gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve Everybody say solve problems. As a believer, you're placed in the world to solve the world's problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's about to put this dude on some clothes and some jewelry. But Daniel answered and said to him before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. I don't need them. I don't want them. And give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Which, when Holy Spirit, when you dwell within us, you make us excellent. You give us insight and light and understanding. You help us to solve problems. But, Father, above all, you place us just close enough to the things of the world to draw all men unto yourself. And so, Father, we thank you. We bless you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel's not a Babylonian. Daniel's actually a Jew. He's a Hebrew. He grew up in Jerusalem before the city was taken captive. At 15 years old, King Josiah died. So many times when you're reading some of the prophets, they'll say in the year King Uzziah died. A lot of times King Josiah died. When King Josiah died, Jerusalem, the Hebrews, turned immediately to the things of the world. 
And as they turn to the things of the world, one of the deceptions of the things of the world is that you turn to them hoping they'll give you freedom or peace or, or identity and purpose. But as you turn to them, they actually bring captivity. And that's what happened with the Hebrews. They turned to the things of Babylon for prosperity, for peace, for identity, for purpose, for power. And within two years, Jerusalem was taken over and all the Hebrew people were either killed or placed into captivity. That's how quickly the world changes the mind to bring captivity to the people. And when they brought them in, he was about 17 years old, Daniel was. But in, unlike many other countries where they would just kill off everybody who was native in that country, Babylonians wouldn't kill them off. They just brought in all the youth, killed off all the older people, and they would begin to retrain, re-educate, rebrand the youth of the Hebrews to become the best Babylonians they'd ever seen. If they didn't conform, they would murder them, butcher them, put them into the fiery pit like they did, tried with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, put them into the lion's den like they tried to do Daniel later on, or they behead them in public to show that now either you're a Babylonian or you're dead. And so they worked this whole instrument to train their language. They changed Daniel's name, Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belshazzar, which means the one who hides the treasures of Baal, which is the evil, evil spirit that Baal, Jezebel had in her. So they're rebranding Daniel, they're rechanging Daniel, and it's very similar to what we have now with education and things in our world where they're trying to reach the youth, bypass the parents, bypass the heritage, bypass the faith to reach youth, to retrain them to be Babylonians rather than Hebrews. If you don't believe me, I was at the show Save Life Banquet this past Thursday night, and there was a woman... It's the third speaker I've heard that used to work for Planned Parenthood. As she began to speak, she worked for Planned Parenthood. She came from a, a lower-income Hispanic community in Brownsville, Texas, went away to college. She wanted to help some of the, this is the 90s, wanted to help the LGBTQT community with the HIV pandemic that was going on, got connected through Pan, Planned Parenthood with that, got hired by Planned Parenthood because she was a, a woman of color, which was their market. They wanted to reach lower-income areas made her a, an, a sex risk education trainer in schools and local outreach. And some of the things she said was mind-blowing, that the whole purpose of the sex risk education or awareness was the marketing campaign for abortions. And she said when they go into schools, they purposely go into schools to bypass families. There is no sex risk awareness. It is all about encouraging sexual promiscuity, promiscuity and immorality in kids as young as 12 years old in order to things they would actually do to children in classrooms was they would have them yell at every slang word and slanderous word about their own sexual organs or sex in general, and they write it on the board to create a collage of all the, the objectifying things about their own bodies. And she said, because they want the kids to objectify their bodies because then their bodies are no longer theirs. They're an object to be used by other people. So much so that she began to watch in one classroom. I won't tell the story because it was grotesque. That she basically told the girl, she said, you don't have to do that if you don't like that. You're telling me this produces a negative result to you. Why are you still doing it? And the little girl, 13 years old, says, well, you're saying I don't have to do sexual acts? And she said it went against all Planned Parenthood uh, doctrine and policy and procedures to say no, that you could do absence. She said, no, you don't have to do that. 
It's like there's something that bothers you or, or hurts you. You don't have to do that. And she said all these kids looked amazed because Planned Parenthood told her, if you tell a kid not to have sex, they feel judged. But these kids were not looking judged. They were looking amazed. And they said, you mean we don't have to do this? And she said, there's a generation of kids that are waiting for adults to actually tell them the things that are good for them and tell them what things are bad for them. And what they were trying to say, what she was trying to say, is it takes a family to raise a kid, not the culture. And what happened here in Babylon is that they bypassed the family. They killed the moms and dads, brought the children into Babylon, brought them to Babylonian schools, changed their names. So now their identity was not their family heritage. Now their identity is the Babylonian heritage and culture. And then began to indoctrinate them with the things of Babylon. And Daniel is in this situation. He's 17 years old. But what the world tried to do to Daniel, they could not change him. I don't know who his parents were, but they must have did a really good job. That this young man, by the time he was 18, would face Nebuchadnezzar and would stand his ground. In this part of the story, he's about 80 years old. And he's faced with the struggles and problems again. And so what you need to understand is Babylon is an ancient city, yes, but it's also a spirit. The spirit of Babylon is prevalent. You see it in Daniel chapter 1. They call Babylon Shinar, which is actually the region of the Tower of Babel. So Babel and Babylon are the same exact situations. The Tower of Babel, if you don't know the story, Genesis 11, it's where the people come together. They said, we can do anything if we just come together. We can build great things. We can reach the heavens. They begin to build this tower. And the whole point of the tower was to give glory to their own ingenuity, their own intellect, their own power, and to reach up to heavens to show the world they were greater than God. It was the first form of humanism in the entire world, where people began to worship themselves rather than the creator. Tower of Babel, years later, becomes Babylon, and Babylon has a spiritual insight and a spiritual motivation to it, where Babylon actually means the mother of prostitutes. Babylon is this culture that's high on humanism, high on sexual immorality. It brings the two together to lift up the image of whoever the, pre the king or president may be. Nebuchadnezzar makes an image to himself. People have to worship him and conform to his image. And you see it over and over and over again. You need to realize that the spirit of Babylon is present. Not just in the book of Daniel, but it's present throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and today, but it's also prevalent at the end times. The book of Revelation gives tons of insight in the spirit of, in the spirit of Babylon. It says this in Revelation 14, 8. Another angel, a second, follows saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink in the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Revelation 16, 9. The great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nation fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Revelation 17, verse 5. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Revelation 18, 1 and 2. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for very unclean spirits, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. 
Make no mistake about it. Babylon is not just an ancient city Daniel found himself caught up in. It was an ancient spirit that's still alive today that Daniel found himself in spiritual warfare against. And I would argue that today we're in just as much of a spirit of Babylon as Daniel was. And I believe some of the principles of, that Daniel walked in with having this excellent spirit and the way he communicated what was in his spirit to those in authority and those around him, we can use today. And you, you may not believe me or agree with me that the spirit of Babylon is, is at, alive and, and well. But if you just look at the two things, the, the sexual immorality in America is prevalent. And it's not just prevalent. They're trying to institute it in kids as young as kindergartners through education system, which is Babylon. It's a place where people worship their own image or their own self. Nebuchadnezzar made an image to himself and said, worship this. We make an image of our own personal identities, our sexual genders, our ethnicities, our races, our own self, our own ideas, our own things. And we worship ourselves in our culture. And so you are in the midst of Babylonian culture, whether you want to admit it or not. Yet, I believe, as a follower of Jesus, there's a Daniel on the inside of each and every one of you. Point to your neighbor and say, there's a Daniel on the inside of you. There's a Daniel. Meaning, God is my judge. I'm not judged by the world. I'm not judged by Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not judged by Belshazzar. I'm not judged by the Democrats. I'm not judged by the Republicans. I'm, not judged. I'm only judged by God. Therefore, I can't be indifferent to the things of God because I'm judged by God. If I'm indifferent to the things of God and I'm judged by God, that means I'll be caught up in the wrong side of judgment. So therefore, how do I function? How do I operate with influence for God if he's judging me in a culture that's judging God? How, how, how do I operate? How do I influence people? How do, how do I, I live this life in, in and integrity, and power, and boldness, and courage, as if God is judging me, but when the whole culture is actually judging God. And the key is, you have to have an excellent spirit on the inside of you, because influencers bring supernatural solutions to people's everyday lives, right? As an influencer, you have supernatural abilities inside of you, because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And where the Holy Spirit is, is the spirit of excellence, is the, is the spiritual giftings, is spiritual power. And you bring, wherever you go, you are a vessel that brings the supernatural abilities of God with you. And you bring it into people's everyday lives. You bring it outside the walls of the church, into your workplace, into your office, into your home, into your neighborhood, even into parties. God showed up in the middle of one of the most defiling parties ever on the face of earth. He showed up with a prophetic word for Belshazzar. But he needed somebody to help interpret it. He brings Daniel. And Daniel is a person with, with spiritual influence because of the spirit that was in, within him. Daniel was spirit-filled. He was touched by God. One one commentator said like this, regardless of the manner in which Daniel rose to power in the new administration, Darius was extremely impressed with him and planned to set him over all the officials in the kingdom. Daniel distinguished himself among the other officials because of his ex exceptional qualities. Literally, an exceptional spirit was in him. But this exceptional spirit may refer not to his good abilities or attitudes, but possibly the king recognized that Daniel was touched by God and therefore possessed great wisdom. See, there's something about someone who's been touched by God that even the world recognizes it. 
See, people should recognize you've been with Jesus. People should recognize you've been in your prayer closet. People should recognize you've been on the mountaintop with God and your face has changed. People should recognize that you've been in the presence of a holy God. People should recognize that you have some giftings on the inside of you. People should recognize that there's something different about you. People should recognize that you're distinguished, that you're different than everybody else around you. When you walk with Jesus, you walk a little bit differently. See, when you carry the presence of God, you carry the presence of God, it's a heavy burden. You walk with a limp, but you walk with power. And when you walk like that, people realize, hey, he's walking, he's carrying a big burden, he's carrying a big load, but he's carrying it, it looks light. It looks different. See, he'd been touched by God. He'd been spirit-filled. The spirit of the holy God was, in, was inside of him. They recognized that the spirit of God is in him, that there's something different in him, and it's not the gods of astrology, it's not the gods of the enchanters, the God of the holy God is in him. And you see, how did, how did that happen? Daniel was a man of prayer. You know, this is Daniel 1, chapter 2. Every day he was going up to the rooftop with his windows open, praying regardless of what the law said. Daniel was a man of consecration. He fasted. He prayed. Daniel was a man of courage, of boldness. Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of power. Daniel was a man who sought the power and influence of the Holy Spirit more than the power and the influence of Babylon, even though he had full access to the power and influence of Babylon. How many people do you know that would trade the power and influence of the Holy Spirit for the power and influence of the White House or the power and influence of the United Nations? I can tell you a lot. Because we've seen in the last few decades, people trading, pushing the things of the Holy Spirit back into a back corner of the room so they can have influence in politics or government. And I will tell you, I remember Billy Graham once said, they asked him, will you ever run for president? He said, why would I ever take a demotion? <laughs> Do you realize that the only way you can get the power of the world is to sacrifice the power of the kingdom? But if you sacrifice the power of the world, you receive the power of the kingdom. And Daniel realized that, and God gave him this immense amount of power and excellence. And even in that, he was forgotten about. Could you imagine? Daniel had already interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. He'd already demonstrated influence in the kingdom. He'd already been this, this guy that was set apart, that was distinguished, had this excellent spirit. Yet this party's going on, and as the party's going on, he's overlooked. Daniel's helped Nebuchadnezzar set up his kingdom. Now he's helped Belshazzar. He'll help Darius later on. He sets up all this influence, all this wisdom, all this power in the kingdom of Babylon. Yet he's forgotten about. He's overlooked. And you may realize that, that sometimes it feels like as believers we're overlooked. Maybe at your office it feels like as a believer you're overlooked. You don't get invited to the, the certain parties. You don't get invited to certain conversations. Maybe you're a teenager, you feel like at school because you really follow Jesus, you're in love with Jesus, that you're overlooked by certain people groups or, or peer groups, or maybe you don't get invited to certain functions or events. Maybe as a believer in your family, you get isolated, you're overlooked by people in your family, you don't get invited to certain family functions, praise God, you, you get dismissed. Like as believers, we get overlooked by the things of the world. Right? It seems like we get overlooked until an election comes and people want our votes. But they don't want our influence in the three, three and a half years before then. Like as believers, we get overlooked because we look like we're party poopers instead of party 
givers. And Daniel is this guy that every time he's been brought before the king, he's brought no word from God to whoever was in authority. And I want you to know that you may be overlooked, but you will be remembered. You may be overlooked. As believers, you will be overlooked. But at some point, you will be remembered. How could they forget about Daniel? Like, Daniel, this is incredible. Like, every, even the queen remembered Daniel, but she'd forgotten about him until it came to a hard point. See, who cares about Daniel while the party is still going on? Who cares about Daniel or the afterlife while you're still young and you're still healthy? Who cares about the peace of God while they're in a peaceful season in life? Who cares about the healing of God while your body is still healthy and thriving? Who cares about the comfort of God while you're living in a good economy with a good job and a good credit card and everything is going extremely well? Who cares about the forgiveness of God when they aren't experiencing the consequences of their sin and their mistakes? I will tell you, no one cares about Daniel. No one cares about the excellent spirit. No one cares about Jesus. No one cares about the Father's opinion. No one cares about the Holy Spirit while things are going well. While the party's still going on, no one cares what God thinks about the party. But when the party is interrupted, all of a sudden people start looking for somebody, anybody who has some answers to why the party got interrupted. I don't know about you, but in high school, we had some parties. I remember as soon as you heard the word cops, the party was interrupted. People sobered up. Guess what we started trying to do? We started trying to clean up the mess. We started trying to throw away certain stuff. We started trying to get the furniture right back on the carpet in the exact same indention it was before. You try to hide some people. You try to put some things away. You start trying to get things in order and clean up. Guess what? When life is happening, people forget about the order of God. But as soon as the parties of life are interrupted, people start looking for people who can figure out how to get their lives back in order. How to get the furniture back in the place where it's supposed to be. How to get their lives back in the place it's supposed to be. How to get their relationships back in the place it's supposed to be. No one cares about the influence of God while the party's still going on. But as soon as the party's interrupted, you best believe they're looking for somebody with an excellent spirit. Somebody. Who, who can we call? Who, 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 who can figure out this writing on the wall? Who... Who could figure out what's going on in the culture? Who could figure out what's going on? Is this, it, I remember when 9-11 happened. People who did not believe in God all of a sudden were believing in God. When COVID happened, initially, people that didn't believe in God were wondering, what is going on? Is this the mark of the beast? Is this the, they're all trying to ask questions that are supernatural in the root system. Why? Because the party was interrupted. So guess what? You may not have the influence you want right now. You may feel overlooked. But you know who was overlooked? David was overlooked when it was time to ordain a king. He was in the shepherd's field on the hill, and they overlooked him. But guess what? All of a sudden, they remembered David. Joseph had interpreted dreams. He's in the basement of a dungeon, and he's going through hell in a handbasket. But all of a sudden, they overlooked him, but all of a sudden, they remembered. There's Joseph. He can interpret some dreams. Daniel's locked away. He's 80 years old at this time, probably living in his retirement age, and they're going through all this stuff. There's some handwriting on the wall. Guess who they remembered? They remembered Daniel. You may not be remembered right now, but when the things get out of hand, you'll be remembered. In your office, 
You may be overlooked right now, but when somebody starts having a down season, they go through a difficult season. There's a diagnosis of cancer. There's a loss of a loved one. There's layoffs coming. Guess who they're going to remember? That person they've watched handle everything with excellence. At school, you may not feel like you have any influence. You may feel completely overlooked. Nobody remembers you. Nobody knows your name. But when things start to get rough at school, when that classmate doesn't get to the college that they're going to get to, or their parents start to get divorced, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to remember that person with the excellent spirit. At your job, your factory, you may feel completely overlooked, unimportant. But guess who they're going to come to when they hit that hard spot? You may be overlooked now, but you will be remembered. But how will you be remembered? See, it's not enough just to have an excellent spirit. It's how you allow the Holy Spirit to use you that determines if people think it's excellent or not. All right, so I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been around a lot of people that have the Holy Spirit in them, and there wasn't anything excellent about them at all. It was chaotic. It was, made me nervous, made me a little awkward. Like. So there's something about Daniel. He had the Holy Spirit in him, but they said they didn't call it the Holy Spirit. They called it the excellent spirit. And it's because I believe Daniel had the maturity to know how to partner with the Holy Spirit to have influence in a spirit of Babylon. And I think if there's anything we learn, it's, it's these three things today that we're about to learn. I think if there's anything we can learn, it's, it's these principles to partner with the voice of God into a godless culture to gain influence so that people realize God is speaking to them even though they don't believe in God. Because I think that's important to realize that, that Belshazzar didn't believe in God, yet God was speaking to him in the middle of a party. And so we have the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit inside of us to partner, to, to share his voice with others, but we have to do it in a way they actually hear it. I believe there's two, actually three voices of the Holy Spirit. The two main voices of the Holy Spirit are comfort and conviction. Right In, John, in chapter 14, we know the Holy Spirit comes to, to comfort us, to convict the world of sin and us to righteousness, but also to reveal or to guide us in the truth, to reveal Jesus to us. Three voices, comfort, conviction, and revealing. Now, the problem with some of us is we lean towards one voice or the other. So what happens is if somebody in the world is, is dealing with a problem and you think it's the conviction voice or the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, you come dropping the Ten Commandments and you're going to die by tomorrow if you don't repent and you have all this stuff. But what if the Holy Spirit was trying to comfort them? So if you're trying to convict somebody with the Holy Spirit trying to comfort them, you actually grieve the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. The opposite could be true. What if the Holy Spirit's trying to convict somebody of their sin and their unrighteousness, but you're trying to comfort them because you're a feely, emotional person. You just want everybody to feel good, so you try to comfort them. You actually disrupt the move of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so I believe Daniel had this down pat, and I'm going to show you in verse 14. In verse 14, he says this. He says, I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. First of all, I think you should be close enough to the people of the world to be approached by them when they need you, but distant enough that they realize that the spirit of God is in you. 
That's, that's key. I think you should be close. I don't think we run off and hide inside our church on Sunday morning. I think we get close enough that people see us and we can be approached by them, that they can see that we're there for them, that they can come to us, that they can be there with us, they can be there for us, but they sh- we shouldn't be so close that they confuse us with them. That they we're close enough they can hear about us, but then they see the Spirit of God is in you. You should be close enough to be known by them, but not so close that you know them so close. He says, I've heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you. Do you realize that the Spirit of God is also in you? That the same Spirit that was in Daniel is actually in you? Actually to a greater measure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So if he had an excellent spirit, you have a much more excellent spirit because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you and made you a temple of the holiness of God. And so you need to be close enough to them they can approach you, but you need to remember that the spirit of God is in you and that everywhere you show up, the Holy Spirit shows up with you. If you show up at work, the Holy Spirit shows up with you. If you show up at school, the Holy Spirit shows up with you. If you show up at the bar, guess what? The Holy Spirit shows up with you and he should be grieving you and convicting you and making you feel like boo-boo. Why? He's in you. There's nowhere you can go to hide from him. Even David said to Psalm 1, where can I go from your spirit? Where, where can I flee? Can I go to Sheol? Can I go? Where can I go? You can't get away. Once you've been touched by the Holy Spirit, you can't get away from him. You may feel like he's distant, but he's still there. And so you need to know that he is in you. But here's the key. So, Daniel had the, the God of the Holy Spirit inside of him, but the way he communicated that was completely different with light, with understanding, and with wisdom. He didn't show up with a bullhorn to tell Belshazzar, You are going to hell. You're about to die, my friend. His voice was light, understanding, and wisdom. Light is the persuasive voice. What does light do? It reveals, it shows you a better way. It shows you something else. It shows you something new. It reveals you the kingdom of God. It reveals you the fruit of the spirit. It reveals to other people what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. Understanding is the prophetic voice. This word in some, in some translations is actually insight, prophetic insight. They can understand you're sharing what God's point of view is in a situation. But wisdom is pastoral. You have all three voices inside of you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is, in this day and age, most people just lean towards a prophetic voice. On social media, very few people try to be persuasive or pastoral. They just want to be prophetic, telling everybody what's wrong with them and why it's not working. They just want to show everybody, this is what's wrong with you. I I see it. I got off social media. Thank God. Before I got off, it was prophetic voice, prophetic voice, prophetic voice, prophetic voice. And what they're saying is they're speaking God's law against people who are not under God's law. Guess what? If somebody's not following Jesus, they do not have to participate in the laws of God. And so when you use the law of God against them, they're already tone deaf. I believe what he did was he used the light of God 
then understanding, and then application. So he showed them the kingdom. He helped them understand what God was saying. Then he helped them apply it to how they could actually understand it. And so I think for us is understanding these three voices. Prophetic voice appeals to the revealed word of God as the final authority. When you have a prophetic bent to you, it's thus saith the Lord. God's word says. The pastoral appeals to the shared needs and suffering. Meaning you understand what their pain is. You understand what they're going through. You understand their suffering. Persuasive appeals to the common good. Meaning if we could all do this, this is how things get better. Prophetic is a call of acknowledgement of sin. Meaning there's a, the problem is sin. But the way to get there is sometimes different. Offering healing, nurturing, and aid to those in need is the pastoral. Persuasive seeks to change viewpoints or practices within the culture. The prophetic demands of the hearer repentance and complete change of direction. Pastoral meets people where they are and ministers to their immediate needs. The persuasive appeals to the conscience and shared values and seeks progressive steps towards a final goal. But last but not least, prophetic is synonymous with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The pastoral is synonymous with the comforting and helping role of the Holy Spirit. And persuasive is symbolic of the Holy Spirit bearing witness or revealing the truth or guidance to them. Now, the beauty of this is you need all three for somebody to come to a place of complete surrender to Jesus. The problem with it is all of us fit in one of these three categories. You say, well, I, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good. No, no, no. I'm going to show you. Here's what happens when you are out of bounds. If you start with prophetic and then you go to persuasive, then you go to pastoral, you have hard hearts. Why? They stop listening after they feel like you judge them. If Daniel would have walked in and be like, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. Guess what happened? He was beheaded. And they never heard the rest of the interpretation. But if you have persuasive voice, minus pastoral, minus prophetic, you're nothing but flattering those around you. And you'll flatter people straight into hell if you're not careful. The prophetic minus pastoral minus pa uh, minus persuasive, as a typo, is judgmental. Meaning, if you just start prophetic and you don't help people pastor that, you don't help persuade them to God's point of view in that, all they feel like is you judge them and you're a judgmental person. If you have pastoral minus prophetic minus persuasive, it's just therapeutic. You're just making them feel good for the moment, making them feel like somebody understands, making them feel like, you know, there's somebody and there's more to it. But if you can walk in the pastoral, I mean, you connect with them. They feel like you understand their wounds or you understand their point of view, you understand their pain. And then you show them what the kingdom of heaven looks like. You show them the fruit of the spirit. Then you can challenge them with the interpretation of the prophetic word for them. And what that does, it opens their hearts to receive the beauty and the power of God's word in their life. I believe Daniel did this better than anybody else in the world. So three voices you need. One, you need, you need a persuasive voice, which is a voice of light. Meaning when you show up, you are the dimmer switch that begins to light up the darkness wherever you go. That means you, you got to realize you live your life with people watching you. When you're the light, people always see the light when it walks into the dark. And so people are watching you. When you show up, you should be able to turn on the light or brighten up the day with the fruit of the Spirit in the people's lives around you. Like you should, you should add value. You should solve problems. You should bring solutions wherever you go because that is the light that you bring. You have to have a persuasive light. But you also need a prophetic voice. 
What is a prophetic voice? It's spiritual understanding. And I will tell you, people are desperate right now for a prophetic voice. You don't believe me? People are looking for people who understand what is happening supernaturally in the world. If you don't believe me, just look at how many people have stinking crystals and gemstones around them. If you don't believe me, look at some of this new age stuff going on in the world around us. People are looking for supernatural power and solutions and understanding, and you have it on the inside of you. You show up and there's supernatural understanding in you. You have to use your prophetic voice to help people realize, hey, this suffering in the world is nothing but a birth pain to the delivery when Jesus comes back and delivers us out of suffering into a new heavens and a new creation and a new world that we as believers get to be part of. You see all this stuff go, the violence, all that is a symptom of sin. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. It's always been there because the world is broken. But Jesus came to rebuild and to remake and restore all that was torn down the Garden of Eden to remake and rebuild. You have a prophetic voice and understanding. But you also need a pastoral voice. A pastoral voice is a voice of wisdom, which means you help people understand what God is saying to them and help them walk it out and live it out. Meaning wisdom is one of the most attractive things in the world. Why? Wisdom is nothing more than, I've experienced things, I'm gonna share my experiences with you so you don't have to experience what I experienced. It's a fruit of the Spirit, it's a gift of the Spirit. Do you realize that's a gift? When, When Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 lists all the gifts of the Spirit, you know which one he starts with? wisdom. Dr. Kendall, one of my mentors, says he believes Paul wrote those in the order of significance. That before you have words of knowledge, before you have tongues and interpretation, before you have prophecy, you need wisdom. Meaning, you have the gift of wisdom. And Proverbs says the wisdom is more valuable than rubies. Do you realize when you leave, you may not have rubies, you may not have diamonds, you may not have gold, but you've got some rubies on the inside of you. And people need those. You need a persuasive voice, a prophetic voice, and a pastoral voice. Per- persuasive voice, prophetic voice, and a pastoral voice. Because we are Daniels living in the midst of Babylon. And you have an excellent spirit on the inside of you. But the way you use your voice will determine if you have influence or you don't have influence. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. Before we dismiss... Just talking about just the influence of Babylon. It's really interesting. You just see how hard the Babylonian culture worked to rebrand, to re-educate, to retrain, to re-identify the young Hebrews to be Babylonians. As they were rebranded, renamed, it's interesting that God creates a, a kingdom in the Garden of Eden. And Satan counterfeits that by creating a kingdom of Babylon. You have a name in heaven, like Jacob had a name in heaven. His name was Israel, but you have a name on earth, which is the name of Babylon, that maybe people called you by. Yet there was something different about Daniel that it couldn't shake him, make him, or break him. And what was different about him was the Spirit of God lived on the inside of him. And the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. When you die to yourself, you become resurrected in Jesus, 
and you're as clean and holy and righteous as Jesus, enough that the Spirit of heaven, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit can make himself at home within you. If you said, you know what, maybe you have more of Babylon in you than you do heaven in you. Maybe you have more of the Babylonian culture in you than you do the culture of heaven on the inside of you. I believe today's the day that God is calling you to die to self, to die to Babylon, to being resurrected with Christ, and that his spirit can dwell within you and give you an excellent spirit to walk in. If that's you, I'm not going to have you stand up, I'm not going to have you come forward. He said, that's me. I just want you to slip your hand up real quick, right where you are. He said, that's me. Thank you. Anybody else? Wait one more second. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for the blessings, the power, the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that in the midst of even Babylon, in the midst of pressure and persecution and intimidation and influence, that the influence inside of us is greater than influence outside of us. Father, and for the person that raised their hand this morning, I just pray right now, as they die to self, that you resurrect them in Christ. And that everything about them as identified is in Christ. Their joy is in Christ. Their peace is in Christ. Their power is in Christ. Their hope is in Christ. Their faith is in Christ. And as they do, Father, as you wash them and cleanse them with the blood of Jesus, that you pour your Holy Spirit into them, they give them power from heaven, the fruit of heaven, and the glory of heaven in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you would stand to your feet as we dismiss. If you raise your hand, if you do me a favor and stop by Connection Point on your way out, we have a gift to say thank you for being with us, but also to help you in your journey. If I can have our prayer team come forward, if you need prayer for anything, we believe in the power of agreement. That where the Bible says where two or three agree and touch, it shall be done for them. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, our prayer team be down front pray with you. We love you. God, bless your people as they leave. Let them be heard of by people at their works and their jobs and their careers and their schools as people that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in. Let them go with light and understanding and wisdom and protect them at all costs. In Jesus' name.